0: Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, everybody. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Compound Performance Radio. Today with us, we have Mike Tashirer from RTS. Everybody knows who you are, but if you could take a moment to introduce, well, I mean, so like this is one of the things that we've talked about, like as a bit of an aside, is like, you're the guy that brought RPE to powerlifting so you are like every coach's dad and like <laughs> all whether of the they clients, know it or not yeah all <laughs> of the clients in powerlifting's like grand coach is you so it's like you're coach. like exactly the grand coach I'm gonna right? put that in my bio for now and I think elite grand coach it's like it's like you and like Boris and like Louis Simmons are like the three not, like biggest Ooh. grand coaches out there where it's like you Ooh, guys are the ones it. that like have influenced powerlifting probably more than the most other people that have that most other people have, um, so we're we're excited to have you on and we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks, man.
1: Thanks. Yeah, good to be here. I, I should embrace the the grand coach moniker because like I, I already get like people peg me for a lot older than I actually am. You know, I, I've been in the sport for a long time now. I've got like some gray bits in my beard and everything, so it's like, wait, Mike's only thirty seven. wait what is this he's like 50 right no no (laughs) well it's like when you when you just recently returned to the
0: platform people were looking at that like oh my god what year is it i don't even know what year it's like (laughs) when was like the last time you competed before this was like what 2016 yes it's like it wasn't even that long ago well
2: i mean golden years yeah (laughs) yeah
1: i mean it it is and it isn't like that's a a long time to be away and and kind of given the turnover that's in powerlifting Mm -hmm. a lot of people maybe most powerlifters don't remember like the 2016 era or when if they do they were like just powerlifting babies back then um, so, I, and that was a pretty terrible performance. So fair enough on them not remembering that, <laughs> but, but, uh, so we yeah, should change looks, the subject cool. real quick, not bring that one up again. <laughs> no, no, it's fine, man. I'm <laughs> definitely come to terms with that, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun to get back on the platform and, and do well. And, uh, you know, lift to lift according to your strength and not like your pain tolerance or something like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's actually kind
0: of where i wanted to ask you next is what made you decide it was time to get back on the platform
1: well a buddy of mine brian minor uh he messaged me one day and was like hey dude i signed up for this meet and he knew that i've been like kind of working toward it and you know kind of slowly adding complex back in and you know gradually getting them heavier and heavier but i appreciate that kind of kick in the pants too because that's like i can also see where that kind of gradual processes, something that can go on forever and ever, you know, and you need something to kind of n- give you the nudge over the edge. And I mean, at the time he sent that message, it was like six months. I was like, yeah, I can be ready for a couple six months, you know? And then before you know it, you're like six weeks out. And you're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: well, happened fast? <laughs> yeah. You said they're like, did I, did I really say yes to this? I registered and signed <laughs> up and
1: everything. Oh no. I mean, well, like, uh, go for uh, it. It was was interesting too, because like I was kind of in this rehabby kind of mode and, and that does turn into real actual training at some point. But I just was really careful to focus on taking it one step at a time and not think too much about like getting back to old training habits or anything like that. So when it was time to compete, I had done like some for squat and deadlift in particular bench training was pretty normal, but for squat and deadlift, it was like singles at seven. So I had handled something that was about what I would consider an opener. And I don't have anything to base that on other than I look at it and go, yeah, it looks like about an opener, you know? So you have no idea what the top end was, uh, but it actually made it pretty fun, especially for the squat because you go in there, you take the opener, um, you know, you go well. I don't know what to go. I know that to open with this usually means a top end somewhere in the neighborhood over here. You know, because usually your opener is around ninety percent, so you can kind of wag the jumps a little bit. And uh, you know, well, okay, second attempt seems like about there. How much do you think is left on the third? And and you get what you get. And there's not a whole lot of expectation uh, beforehand, which actually makes it more fun, ironically, so. So, I mean, that's
0: that's another really good uh, point that you brought up there too about the that rehab process, right? Because that's the same kind of thing that we see lifters go through when they're going through their first meet all the time where they're not ready, they're not ready, they're not ready. And they're hitting these markers and they're hitting these checkpoints and they're hitting these things that they think are really good and that are really good for their performance based off where they've been. And they have. They just haven't decided to do it yet. And I've seen the the same thing happen with lifters who are rehabbing something. Like I've gone through that myself as well. Yeah. What, if you have any like advice for people who are, because like obviously you've had very successful return to platform and you've been very successfully coaching power lifters for a long, long time. What advice do you have for people who are in that same kind of mindset of either not sure if they want to do their first one or not sure if they want to get back into competition? Gosh,
1: I mean, I'm not really like one of the diehard people uh, where it's like, oh, you got to compete, you got to compete. But I, I personally think it's pretty damn fun, mm-hmm. you know? So if you look at it and you go, yeah, that looks like that could be fun. Uh, then I would definitely encourage people to give it a try. But I would say in the last year, I've worked with a couple of more novice lifters. Um, one was, a, you know, a young guy who, had an athletic background he had lifted weights before uh, but had never powerlifted before and so we were training him up for that and uh, another was uh, a woman who had been pretty sedentary for a while and we started training up for a powerlifting competition she just decided this was it we want to do a powerlifting competition and it was pretty eye-opening to me because like a lot of what I work with is these are people who are already competing a lot of times, you know, or even if they're not competing, they're already like they've been training seriously for a while, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years at least. Uh, so it's kind of neat to reconnect with some people that are at different points along the way. And it's eye opening because especially working with the uh, with the woman, um, she was just like to note, like how far you've got to go to be like a trained powerlifter you know, from, from nothing really, you know, so there's a lot of development there. And I think there's a lot that people don't give themselves credit for, you know, like, man, if you're to the point where you can step on the power, step on the platform and compete in the sport of powerlifting, you have accomplished a lot just doing that, you know, like, honestly, that's akin to running a marathon, you know, like, I don't want to, yeah, I mean I think honestly I am kind of talking and thinking at the same at the same time, but I think that's something I would stand behind. There's a lot of training that goes into that. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, no, I would I would completely agree with that. It's any any kind of athletic pursuit like that that requires diligent planning and training for and sacrifice for months at a time to lead you to an end point is is something that people don't really understand how to conceptualize until they actually go through it once.
1: Yeah. Yeah you know, I mean, it was the little things for me because like I hadn't worked with people who like don't know how to squat in a long time. Like that's way earlier in my career, you know, so you get to this to this point where you go, OK, we're going to have to work on basics, you know, and just basic movement competency. And I mean, it'd be one thing if you were, you know, 15 years old and like, all right, we can teach you you're young and healthy and limber and we can teach you how to do this in, you know, a day or two, you know, but hey you're not and you know maybe you've got some injuries to work around and your back hurts today and we don't you know things like that it can make the process a lot more difficult and it can make you know even just performing movement to like powerfuling competition standard that's an achievement in itself and something that ought to be acknowledged
2: out of pure curiosity. Um because you are who you are and I imagine that you have some sort of pick of like athletes how do you come across novice lifters like that
1: <laughs> well th- this was uh, um, kind of both of them were uh, happy accidents I guess because uh, uh, like in one case I took my wife out to lunch and we're at this restaurant and we had kind of gotten to know uh, the chef and so he comes out and talks to us and uh, he had just picked up this intern this young guy who was interning for him and he was uh interested in being a strong man you know yeah uh, so he introduced us and i was like hey let's train together sometime you know and you start to get to know him and turns out he's interested in powerlifting and you know okay well, let's go you know and so like that it's it's stuff like that you know and those are you know, not usual for me, but it's also because I know that I'm missing something. You know, like if you only work with like one type of athlete, you understand that type of athlete, but it's, it can end up being a pretty narrow uh, worldview. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of concerned that I was getting really good at this one very specific thing. And I was like, I need to kind of reconnect to people who are a little bit younger in their journey here you know, make sure I'm speaking the same language. And it was really, really helpful, actually.
2: It's really cool. How did
0: you find that your, your coaching differed from the people that you were coaching normally, the the high level athletes that you were coaching or the ones with a lot more experience to these completely new people?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot different to be honest. So uh, in both cases, I was coaching them in person uh, versus online. So like, almost, I mean, you got to go back to my Air Force Academy days, you know, when I was (laughs) in college to to find like a good chunk of in-person time, right? Uh, So most of my work uh, for the last, you know, 10 plus years has been online. So we get back to doing some in-person stuff. So that was really important, especially from like a movement coaching standpoint, which, you know, varies from uh, person to person. But it also like for for the the uh, guy in particular, as we got closer and closer to his competition, um, I noticed that we just were having a lot of conversations about what you expect at your first competition and man, just little stuff would come up uh, we would talk about you know what to expect uh, after weigh-ins and you know what feelings you might have like because I know for me like I was always uh, kind of irritated after weigh-in because like there's this chunk of time where you're uh, you're ready to go damn it (laughs) and you're just sitting (laughs) around and uh you know and just kind of knowing that hey man this stuff is normal you know expect it you know uh and you know here's how I'm gonna plan the the timing for the warm-ups and here's you know what we're gonna do in terms of attempt selection and uh well when do I put my singlet on and just like stuff that you know, for if this is your first time competing, you got a lot of questions and we can handle all that stuff conversationally, you know, so that was that was really nice um, because I mean, if it was just like a list of stuff that I needed to to mention, then I'm positive I would have missed a bunch. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure.
0: I think that's a that's a really interesting point that you, you brought up to about the difference between somebody's first meet and the way that typical meet day guides are are written out for lifters yeah. um every meet day guide that i've ever seen from every powerlifting coach is just like here's this the list of expectations go for it and it doesn't tell you things like you mentioned about like when are you going to put on your singlet what do you do after weigh-ins how long like when do i have my meals what do i do in between like attempts what do i do here There's a lot that ends up being missing that you miss out on by not being able to do that and have that experience in person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I could, I mean, I've been competing for a long time and I'm comfortable doing it. I'm not a super emotional lifter. I felt like, you know, going into my competition, I, I got this under control. I can pretty much handle myself. Mm -hmm. Actually, I got my buddy who had, by this time he had done two powerlifting competitions. And I was like, look, I want you to kind of experience what it's like to handle somebody at a competition, you know, so you're going to handle me. I've pretty much got it, but you know, it'll get you some experience and kind of know, know a little bit more what to expect, you know, and plus I need somebody to help me out in the warm up room. <laughs> so um, yeah. So it was a good opportunity to show him the ropes. Right. So, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to go, I'm going to hit some lifts. Uh, we'll get as heavy as we reasonably can, but it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Um, and that worked fine for the squat and the bench. And then it gets time to deadlift, right? And it's hard not to look at those projections, man. Because yeah. like I said, like the expectations start to get to you a little bit. And so I looked at what I squatted, and what I benched. And I knew kind of, like I said, I, I knew what I wanted to open with on deadlift. And I knew what kind of top in that puts you in range of you know and I, so i do the math and i go man, that'll be a 895 kilo total can you stretch it five kilos get that 900 man that'd be <laughs> nice to get that 900 like and so you got this little devil and angel sitting on your shoulder at this point and that's where it's nice to have a coach <laughs> you know like what if you know what's going on or not man it, just to have somebody saying hey remember why you came here in the beginning and What would be, what would seem like it would be a better outcome to you, you know, and like, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, anyway, long story short, we ended up talking me off the ledge a little bit, uh, went for, uh, 365, my third deadlift, got it. And, uh, it was a 895 kilo total. And I look at it and I go, yeah, I could have, I could have, that's a much better outcome than going for it and missing it possibly missing it like i don't think i would have missed it but you know i didn't know that at the time of the temp selection yeah. i can't
2: imagine the pressure of talking you off the ledge of a yeah. 900 kilo
1: total. Like, I,
2: <laughs> i'd be like i don't know man you tell me <laughs> yeah
0: it's like you literally taught me how to do temp selection i don't know what the hell i'm talking about here
2: <laughs> and, and like that's handling in general too yeah. i can't like He's done two meets and you ask him to handle you like, oh man,
1: (laughs) I'd be like shit in my pants. Put put a little pressure on the guy. He did great though. He did great.
2: Right. That's one way to learn. Just trial by fire.
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But no, that's, so one of the things I noticed about your, about your training leading into this was that you, you very heavily changed your deadlift setup.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Very heavily
0: changed it. Um, Indeed. what made you, what, what was your thought process going into that?
1: Uh, it was kind of a, a thing of necessity. So, um, probably about 12 or so weeks out, uh, I went down to elevate and train with, uh, Bryce Lewis, Natalie Hansen. and I was doing a deadlift session down there and got a ever so slight hamstring tweak. Right. And it wasn't a big deal thinking yeah this thing will be it, it, it's one of those where you go is that really an injury or is that just sore does it just feel weird I don't know you know whatever I'm not going to worry about it um I think what happened is that uh, just the the soreness or whatever the residual funny feeling there was enough that uh, I changed a little bit about my start position in the next deadlift session and uh, felt a pop in my back, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, damn it. Back injury. Again, felt very minor. And I'm thinking this will be over in a week or two. We got this. But it was this weird thing that kept popping up. Like it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. I would go through warm ups, it wouldn't bother me. And then it would pop again, you know. and this went on for several weeks and that starts to get frustrating at that point, you know, you're, you know, uh, six, seven weeks out and you're starting to get a little nervous. I'm starting to get a little nervous. And, uh, you know, we, uh, John, who was, um, kind of sanity checking my programming choices, <laughs> uh, was, we kind of talked it through and made some, uh, made a plan for how to, how to get back into this. And, uh, you know, it, standard stuff, you know, like, let's find what you can do, what can you do, what can you train that doesn't irritate it, that doesn't cause problems, gradual reintroduction, and uh, we, but we've got to find that entry point, and the first week back, you know, it's like 225 pounds, and I, and I figured out that if I kind of pulled out this uh, cochlea style deadlift, Uh, that, you know, I saw where I get the ideas from watching Misha Cochlear pull. Um, And I thought, well, if I do that, maybe that helps, you know, and it definitely felt better. Uh, So I just kind of kept doing it. And after a while, you know, you keep progressing the weights, the injury healed up. And I'm looking at it and going, actually, the bar speeds with this setup are just as fast, maybe a little bit faster. You know, uh, and it feels better. It feels safer to me right now. Uh, So I'm just going to stick with it. So I did. And I mean, I don't know if it's a long-term thing, uh, maybe. uh, Or, you know, I might, like, now that everything's healed up again, you know, I might go back to the other style. But I I don't know. I don't have a a strong attachment to, to either one right now. And I think that if it's something that feels better, Uh, And is just as strong. Then I mean, you got a hard time convincing me that you got to do it a different way, right? I mean, I always,
0: yeah, I always (laughs) like asking people things like that. um, Simply because it's it's just interesting to hear the thought process of why things are changed the way that they are, what moved them into that direction, right? And the the thing that we always hear, and we hear the most frequently from. All of the guests that we've talked to, or like or the, all the people that I've spoken to on social media about things that mm. are similar, is exactly what you said about just finding an entry point and building comfortability and building tolerance in that movement and accumulating more victories.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, you could say the same thing, I think, about, uh, like, Bryce Lewis's squat, like, his bar position in the squat, you know, and I mean, I know he's tried to change that many times over his career, you know, but it comes back to. Hey man, this feels better and it's stronger. I mean, you do the same thing if you're trying to show somebody how to, if they're trying to decide whether they should deadlift sumo or not, you know, well, let's try it for a while. Oh, hey, it's, it uh, feels better and it's stronger. Uh, well, let's keep doing it then, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, like one thing about the, like the drop down style conventional pull that I ended up doing is that, like, you'll hear people, and I have been told this before, like, well, you end up, Kind of in the same start position anyway so why all the theatrics and you do end up in the same start position but one thing that i noticed this time is that i definitely feel like i can get my back a little bit straighter mm. Now i've always been a pretty straight back deadlifter uh, but it felt a little bit better this way you know and i mean it introduces some other variables too right like you've got to time your breath a little bit better than you did with my older style um uh, So it's a little less forgiving that way. But I mean, you see the same thing. Some people like to roll the bar. uh, And that's not necessarily something that you teach because it introduces this other variable, uh, this timing that can be thrown off by divots in the platform or other random things. So you don't necessarily teach that. But if they do it and they go, well, hey, that actually feels a lot stronger, they can control it and do it consistently, then, hey, that's, that's a worthwhile trade
2: you do actually see it a lot in weightlifting for that reason. Like, like you mentioned, the role? well, not the role that like bottom up, uh, yeah. you know, get into the position. Like, like, like you mentioned, Misha Coakley, I I immediately think, Oh, right. he was someone who was a weightlifter too. So like, it makes sense. And like for that exact reason to keep your back in that position, yeah, you sacrifice, you might sacrifice some like off the floor power, but you know, in weightlifting, it doesn't matter. But for you, have you noticed that like the, not the mechanics, but the difficulty off the floor versus lockout has changed or vice versa or whatever, since you're compared to your old setup.
1: It's a bit hard to tell and a little bit early, but it does feel like it takes, uh, you you have to be more patient off the floor because you're building tension. It feels like for longer, you know, and whether that's a, a matter of kind of waiting until your hips get in the right position, uh, for you to be able to initiate the pull off the floor or what have you. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure yet, but uh, at the end of the day, like the overall bar speeds are, are very similar. And I haven't done enough top end work to know like, Oh, actually this one's way stronger or which, which way it goes really. But um, so far they're at least comparable for me. Yeah. Interesting.
0: So to bring it all the way, back to the very beginning of your career? Like, I don't think, I've, I've never heard, you've probably spoken about this before, I just haven't heard it. What got you into powerlifting in general?
1: Well, uh, I guess football, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of, like a lot of uh, Americans. Um, yeah, I was playing football and uh, I always, you know, I don't know, I grew up in the, in the 90s. Uh, action movies were still a thing. You know, so uh, that'd be cool to, you know, grow up and be big and strong. That'd be neat. So like when that opportunity comes along, uh, that's something worth pursuing. And then I found out I'm good at it and uh, uh, it didn't take long. And I uh, was really a powerlifter at heart who played football in the (laughs) offseason. How did that lead you into
0: doing what you're doing now with RTS? So
1: that's definitely a a bit longer arc. So, um, you know, after high school, I went to the Air Force Academy. I wanted to join the Air Force. And uh, at the time, I wanted to be a pilot. So I get to the Air Force Academy, um, still loving powerlifting, right? Mm -hmm. They have a club powerlifting team. So I'm like, definitely join in that, right? So I joined the club team there's two cadets on the club team. (laughs) So I made three, uh, and after my first year, the other two quit. Nice. I was like, like, well, that kind of sucks. So, um, I went on a little recruiting drive, uh, in the cadet wing and recruited a bunch of other guys. And then I started having success competitively, which always helps, right? Like having a little bit of profile helps a lot. And, uh, you know, so we started growing the team, doing competitions, and, um, you know, we start taking the team to collegiate nationals. And uh, by the time I left, we took a full men's team and almost a full women's team. Like a year or two after I left, they were taking a b- both a full men's and women's team. Uh, so, I mean, to grow it from literally one One cadet. person. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, those guys joined the, the club. You know that uh, it was my second year there. Uh, so they joined the club and they're like, okay, we're on the, you know, you, I, uh, you know Mike's already the old man, <laughs> you know, at that point. You're, we're like, okay, what do we do now? And I guess, well, I guess I'm coaching these guys, you know. So I started coaching. So, uh, you know, you do the best you can in that situation. And uh, again, it was kind of trial by fire uh, for me in, in this case. Uh, so definitely made a lot of mistakes and learned a bunch of stuff. And um, that's actually kind of the genesis for RPE and uh, it, porting that over to powerlifting as well because I'm coaching these guys. Uh, we're going down to this like converted racquetball court uh, where we had some like hand-me-down plates and racks and stuff like that. And uh, we're training and, you know, I'm hearing all the time, at that time, which this was like 2004, 2005 timeframe. And I'm hearing all the time, like, you've got to learn how to listen to your body. Uh, everybody responds to training different. It's a lot of the same stuff that we, you know, still say now, um, maybe a little bit more emphasis on, you know, the skill component of training, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not a program, it's learning how to train you know and dave tate was and still is real big into this you know and my question was always like okay great gotta learn how to listen to your body well how do you do that uh well there's no answer really you just kind of got to figure it out and it takes you like 10 years to do it I'm, i'm like man well i don't have 10 years i'm you know coaching these guys now you know so what do and uh you know I was probably getting close to that 10 year mark in my own training. So I'm like trying to observe, like, what is it that I'm noticing about training? And, uh, Jim Windler at the time was writing a lot for elite FTS. And, uh, he was writing about like keeping a rep in the tank on some of your accessory work, uh, which was, I mean, it's funny. that it was, it was like a landmark concept at the time. Like, wait a minute, you don't have to do all these movements to total utter failure, you know, leave a rep in the tank i don't know man i don't want to be sandbagging my training. sounds pretty soft yeah No, no, right <laughs> <laughs> but now man you talk like literally if people they get a nine rpe in training they're like i'm gonna be wrecked for like a week and i mean i don't <laughs> i'm not trying to talk shit about them or anything but it's it's diff it's interesting how different things are from then to now anyway so this idea of leaving a rep in the tank and then um I'm reading super training because at the time that's what everybody was supposed to do. Like, Hey, if you care about training, you got to read super training, yeah. which is fucking impenetrable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's a section in there on RPE and I'm like, okay, this is a neat idea. And and I don't know what, if what happens if you put these two things together? I'm like, okay, uh, 10 RPE, maybe it's max effort. You can leave a rep in the tank. I guess you could leave two reps in the tank or, you know, and, build up build out the scale from there I'm like actually this seems pretty useful and like it mirrors what lifters actually do in the gym so uh started using that on the club team and uh yeah st- started finding some success doing that and um I mean the the question you originally asked was like how does this lead toward RTS and I guess this is a longer story than I anticipated <laughs> We got plenty of time, Mike. <laughs> Dude, so that's like coaching at the academy, right? And after I graduated, um, you know, I, I just I just want to compete, you know. And I'm I know I'm good at it. I had uh, I would won the junior worlds at that point, and um, wanted to to continue, right? So I thought, you know, what if I kind of write what I had learned uh, as a as a cadet coach. And I'll try to publish an article series in Powerlifting USA. Mm. You know, I think that'd be kind of neat. And RPE was part of this concept and and everything. Well, I started writing and it grew and grew and grew. And I thought, well, actually this might be a book, you know. So I ended up self-publishing it as a book. And um, I thought maybe I'll earn enough money to like cover travel expenses as I'm going to these meets and stuff like that. That'd be neat. And one day in two thousand eight, uh somebody emailed me and was like, "Hey, will you coach me over the internet?" And I was like, "That's a thing." <laughs> yes, yes, I will do this you know and uh that was kind of the start of the whole online coaching thing, and it really took off from there
2: and Now every single power lifter uses RPA. yeah. <laughs> that's that's the whole story
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is one of the interesting things that i think you brought up uh too in that is about the pendulum swinging back and Mm -hmm. forth uh with everybody taking everything to complete and total failure originally um and that concept of leaving a rep in the tank being novel and being the new thing and being what the like like completely out like out of left field and now from my observation of what I see with a lot of powerlifting now we seem to have that op that on the other side of the spectrum where it's like you guys should probably try a little bit in some
1: of these things totally agree totally agree man we soapbox about this stuff especially like on our when we have like coaching staff meetings and stuff like that there's often a soapbox about like uh uh, the limits of low rpe Mm -hmm. training i mean in don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying that it doesn't work or anything like that. There's a time and place for most things. Right. But I guess that's something that I've picked up over, over time uh, is just a a little bit of humility when it comes to training methods. Uh, It's like every time I think, you know, this is the way, then I will for sure come into contact with a coaching situation or something where, that ain't the way, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've got to do the thing that I said didn't work uh, to get things moving in the right direction again, you know, I mean, that's happened with speed work, that's happened with so much other stuff, you know, and I mean, it's, it's good, it's good, because it gives you, it gives you some humility, and you start to go, well, instead of saying, like, this either works, or it doesn't work, or this is good, and that's bad, it's like, in what situation is this useful, you know, and like the low RPE stuff, definitely useful in a lot of situations. There's also plenty of situations where eh, may not be the best. It may not get you the best response. Right.
0: What does your marker look like on when it's time for you to try low RPE stuff with a certain person?
1: So I, I do put a lot of emphasis on, you know, what's interesting for the athlete, you know, but, um, so we used to, I say used to, we just haven't done one of these projects in a while. We, uh, we used to run these projects called Project Momentum uh, where we would have some training question and um, you know the answer didn't exist. So uh, we would recruit people and figure it out, mm-hmm. at least attempt to figure it out. And we did several of these uh, different, different things that were completely unrelated, but one of them was, Uh, the 80% rep test. Uh, So we recruited a whole bunch of people and had them do an 80% AMRAP. And uh, the average for an 80% AMRAP is like seven and a half reps. So then we would group people based on whether they scored low reps, less than average or high reps uh, with 80%. And then we would subdivide those groups and train them at either high intensity or low intensity. And we found not huge differences, right? Mm-hmm. Which you would expect, you know, if you, you would expect that if there were these enormous differences, one, we would have figured it out by now Two, um, most people do cluster around the middle, right? So you're taking people that maybe scored six or seven reps at 80% and you're saying you're in the low rep group, like, well, they're kind of in the middle, you know, And then you just train them generally at low or high intensity. And, you know, so there's a whole lot of uh, areas where we could have, where we need to to do more to further illuminate this, right? But we did see a small effect where, um, a small effect in favor of doing what you're bad at. So if you scored low reps at 80%, People tended to do a little bit better when they trained with higher reps, lower intensities, and if they scored high reps at 80, they tended to do a little bit better with lower reps and higher intensities. If that makes sense. So just kind of the, the general notion of doing what you're bad at did seem to help, you know. And again, it was a, it was a small effect, and there were definitely like people who kind of went the other direction, right? There were uh, uh, people. In the high rep group that you know scored that scored high reps, but you know did better with the uh, low intensity high rep intervention. So it's not a substitute for kind of figuring out what works best for the athlete. But it, I, the more I think about it, and I mean this has been some years ago, the more I think about it, the more I think it's a decent starting point, a decent heuristic. And these days I don't do eighty percent exactly but we'll do two AMRAPs as part of a diagnostic. Uh, We'll do a 70% and an 85% because that gives us several different things, right? Like if you know a 1RM, an 85% AMRAP and a 70% AMRAP, then we can build a custom RPE chart. If you're getting velocity data from that, we can build a custom velocity chart. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives us an indication on, hey, are you good? uh, Are you better than average at high reps are you better at av- better than average with heavy weights? Uh, like, how do you stack up here? So, there's kind of a lot of a lot of nudges that we can get from doing those. And I mean, people will always surprise you, but it's good to have uh, uh, what's it what's it like a just a point in the right direction, I guess. Mm-hmm. How how do you find that a
0: lifter's season kind of uh, impacts that? So like if somebody just came Huge. off of a competition, do you run that assessment again to see if there's going to be a different outcome and to see what the outcome could be and how you could then gear training towards in the off season? Or if they're looking at prepping for a competition, do you do the same thing again to see how you can tailor the comp prep a little bit more?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think this is super interesting. And this is a, a space where I'm a lot less... Expert, so you know I, you know, welcome your all's thoughts on this as well. But um, I definitely see a difference, right? So imagine that you come out of a competition, you've been doing a lot of high intensity stuff, and then we give you a seventy percent AMRAP. Now I can tell you, like, the average is going to be around twelve reps, and there's more variance with low intensity stuff. But let's say the average is twelve. You know, do you think you're going to be able to get twelve reps with seventy percent? Usually not. But why? It's not just, it, it, I mean, yeah, it's that you're not used to it, but there's more to it than that. Like there's a reason you're not used to it. You know, like what's going on bioenergetically? What's going on from a technique standpoint that means that you can't do this task as well as you, as you could after, uh, after a training block that it really emphasizes it? And what adaptation do you get from a training block that really emphasizes high rep work You know, I, this is where I think a lot of us are going wrong currently is that I think that we're looking at training adaptations way too low resolution, you know, such and such is good for hypertrophy, such and such is good for strength. Like, dude, those, there's a lot that goes into that. There's different ways that you can hypertrophy a muscle. Like we're, it's funny because like back when I was kind of cutting my teeth and powerlifting, uh, it was just kind of accepted exercise science that, uh, you can't shape a muscle like it, it either trained. It either contracts or it doesn't, like the whole muscle is one thing. And it just, it just works or it doesn't, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Henneman's size principle. And, you know, you can recruit different fibers, but that isn't going to change, um, change shape or uh recruit different parts of a muscle or anything like that that's just not going to be a thing right well it turns out that it kind of is a thing and that you know eccentric training is going to hypertrophy muscle a little bit differently than concentric focused training and you know i mean to what extent does does this stuff matter well i mean how detailed do you want to be about your training because i'm pretty fucking serious about it
0: yeah
1: you know <laughs> absolutely i mean the, the
0: the point that you just brought up about how detailed do you want to be like if you can collect enough data on building a custom training site, uh, like a training block or something like that for somebody, you can almost, you can do a lot with with any sort of adaptation. Like you can work through metabolic adaptations, you can work through strength adaptations, you can work through cardiovascular adaptations through a different energy yeah. pathway. You can work through all of these things and work on building up a lot of athlete like athletic performance limiters really, really, really easily. But that also requires a lot of data entry from the person who's- yeah completing the program and that ends up being a lot of the area where we misstep as coaches because we don't have athletes that enter data all the time (laughs) oh the soft skills of coaching yes i we on our on our app i can track when clients of ours have logged in and i i luckily am good friends with him and i see him in person every day and he trains at my gym but he hasn't logged into the app since he downloaded it. And I'm like, dude, like you just, dude, look at, <laughs> we're looking at a 700 pound squad in June. I need to see some data to like yeah. build your program. I don't, I need to help you help me.
1: Man, you, you would be, you'd be amazed. Like I've worked with, you know, more than my fair share of high level powerlifters, And I would have thought that, you know, man, high level powerlifters are gonna be more committed to this than average. So much worse from a from a data entry standpoint <laughs> so yeah, much worse yeah, yeah. yeah i mean i definitely have some that are that are awesome about it like bryce Crochek is awesome uh, and has been awesome for years uh and i'm sure there's there's others too but he's just the one that pops into my head but definitely had some that you know i'm like okay it, it's been like six months can you <laughs> give me something <laughs> <Are> you alive <laughs> like what's going on man yeah i mean <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like people who are training for major events and you're just like sending training into a black hole. Yeah, Yeah. that's absolutely a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like for us, like developing our training log app on the website, uh, on the RTS website too, a lot of it was to solve some of those problems. Like we can write training and pre-populate their log. We can come up with target weights and target reps and target RPEs and it should make the whole logging process, super, super easy. So we can improve our compliance <laughs> here. But, uh, a lot of times it's not that that's, yeah. it's not that it's too difficult. That's not the reason why you're running the issues. There. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's always some other things that are going on when you're yeah. not receiving that. Sure. Um, but that, that is, so when, with those athletes, what does your communication look like to try and get them back re-engaged again with with logging with data entry and with things like that because again like they're high level lifters so they know that it's important and they know why they should do it and then they just are making a choice to not do that thing
2: especially if it meets like on the book too like
1: yeah
2: (laughs) sure like how do you prepare for that
1: well i mean you kind of my approach anyway has been to i mean i'm gonna do the best i can you know but uh it's, it's like a relationship, you know, and it's got to come from both sides. Uh, and if it's not coming from both sides, I mean, I'm still going to do the best I can. Uh, but I just need to know that that's going to be a little bit more limited. I mean, you can do, you can be flexible with your processes. And I try to do that. There's just got to be some lines that you draw somewhere, right? Like, can you really afford to, uh, you know, call this person on the phone every week, you know, because they're not the only person on your roster. And, you know, is it fair for you to uh, have special treatment for this person? Uh, is it because they're a high level lifter? Uh, or is it, you know, I mean, there's a lot of questions that you would have to answer, yeah. I think. Uh, so my approach has been, you know, just to try to remove as many roadblocks as I can. But I, I have gone as far as <laughs> trying to log training for them because like I I had one one lifter who would send me videos of like competition top sets and I thought okay this is like the minimum amount of information that I could use right Mm -hmm. Uh, because now I know like our competition lift top set performance and if I just log that then I'll at least know which blocks worked well and which ones didn't you know Uh, but that's also um, I mean there's just a lot of other stuff to spend your attention on and it's difficult to to commit to that you know you need you need the process to work for everybody you know and and to, when you once you start having different processes for different individuals it's easy for those processes to start break, breaking down you know so I, I think that's maybe the balance point for it is like how much consideration can i give to your circumstances here uh, without, you know, breaking down my processes so that it's harmful for everybody else. You yeah. know? Which is, like you said, about being an interesting
0: balance to strike, like the communication of that to a client is always right. one of the interesting things because to that client, you are the most important person that they're yeah. probably going to be speaking to. But the end of the day like this is going to sound really brusque and terrible but to the clients it's like you have many other people who may be closer to competitions and therefore their time is more important at that specific moment so that communication always ends up being really interesting where it's like listen dude like i know you're not doing this and i know you're not sending me the stuff and like i i can't check up on you because i have all of these other people that i also need to be checking up on
1: yeah to be fair I think most people understand that you definitely run into some people that don't. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the reasons I, I do enjoy working with coaches is because they definitely get it. You know, if they're going to send me uh, like a video message or something like that, they're not going to send me like a 30 minute video message because they know, right. They've been on the other end of that, but most, most people I don't have too much problem with them like demanding too much. It's just that for me, my issue is that I think, okay, what does this person need? You know, okay. They're not logging their training, but they'll send me their videos. Maybe I'll log their training for them, you know, which sounds good until you start to put that into a work process for everything else that you've got going on in your business. And you start going, okay, now I'm starting to drop balls because it's not part of this integrated, robust process. You know, uh, I'm, I spend time on that when I should be spending time on this other thing, or I forget to do something because, you know, now I'm out of out of phase or I don't know. It's, it, it's usually not, it, for me anyway, it's not been like client demands. It's been me trying to accommodate more than I probably should, yeah. you know. I mean I, there's probably a lesson in that too that I think a lot of coaches you know they care about coaching right and they care about doing their very best for their clients you know I think a lot of us are in that in that boat and so you you do try to do what's needed but also part of what's needed is uh, some good old-fashioned boundary setting you know yeah. and on our team Ross is kind of like the boundaries champion. Like he he really uh, is on people to, you know, Hey, remember you need to take some time off for yourself. You need to unplug a little bit now and then, you know, so yeah, it's good to to do that. I think that's one of the hardest things
0: for anybody in a service-based business to really understand is just boundary setting in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's tough. It's tough. I mean, your whole livelihood like relies on providing good service. And where does that line between providing good service and having your own shit to do
2: stop?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, for like data focused people too, there's not like a bright line there, you know, it's the line that you set and you go, well, why, why there and not there? Like, why do you stop answering messages at five o'clock and not five thirty? You know, well, I don't know because that's the time I picked. You know, there's not like a, a definitive reason why it has to be that time. It's just that that's the time mm-hmm. that seems to work. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough, and I, I don't think there's kind of a, a, like a magic answer to it either. You know, and it's always kind of this process of, or for me, at least it's always been a process of renegotiating that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. same with schedules, man. I'm terrible about, uh, schedules and like trying to build a better mousetrap with scheduling and stuff like that. But I mean, at some point it's like, it's like a program, it's like a training program, this realization that there's no such thing as the best schedule. There's no such thing as the best morning routine. There's just what you're doing now. Yeah. This is effective now. And when it stops being effective, I'm going to switch to something else. And man, that realization was pretty freeing to me, <laughs> you know.
0: When did you have that realization and what
1: kind of got you to that Like a point? week ago. No, oh, no. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Brand new. breaking news. No, no, it's, it's been more recent than, than I wish it was. I, I don't know exactly. It's probably one of these epiphanies that you have now and then, you know. I don't know if you guys are like that. I'm definitely like that. Where do I go? you know, you have some epiphany and, uh, you know, it's like, man, I've, I've had this epiphany before, or you tell somebody else about it. They're like, yeah, that you should know that by now.
2: (laughs) I mean, to your point about boundary setting, like, it's one of those things where like, it's hard to step back and like, take like a hundred foot view of the situation and be like, oh, well, yeah, objectively, I know this, but so like, it's cool that you have someone, you know, in your corner to be like, Hey, we gotta like, take a second, on this and yeah. honestly like when I when I started working with Kyle on that like that was one of Kyle's first things to me he was like we have to manage your levels of stress too because you coach what you coach you in a gym you're working with us now and that has been like to your point uh, a pretty major epiphany for me where I manage my time a little better now I'm a little more strict with my boundaries I have enjoyed my personal life a whole lot more because of it so uh, it isn't but it's always it's always too late like you always feel like wow i wish like, <laughs> I, sh- I should have known that earlier you yeah. know what i mean yeah yeah
1: well i like, mean what are you going to do
0: i got that email from right. a friend of mine when i so when i first started my my job at my old gym in in new jersey um i remember i sent out an email asking if anybody could cover a floor shift on a like a weekend day and one of my good buddies he goes ha sorry i don't work weekends not covering that shit and just like that it was a private response to me and i was like 22 23 and i was like wow, what a dick. But that was where I kind (laughs) of got that response of like, oh, okay, cool. You can like actually have a life and do stuff. And like to kind of further like dig that nail a little bit because of who he is as a person. He like sent me pictures of all the stuff that he was doing on the weekend. It was like, you're working, I'm doing all this fun stuff. (laughs) So it was nice for me to have that epiphany from him at that age, but it's one that you kind of end up breaking sometimes. And it's like you said, it's what you're doing now that has has to be what what you're looking at.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's I hope it's fine to have periods of your time where you're kind of doing too much, you know? Yeah. Because I'm definitely, definitely in that period at the moment, (laughs) but, but, um, you also need to not do that. You know, it's, I mean, I don't know, man, after training and coaching and everything for so long, like that becomes the lens through which I see a lot of, uh, life situations through, you know, and this would be very similar, you know, it's fine to have a period of your training where you're kind of overreaching a little bit, but you just can't stay there for too long, you know, so work weekends when you need to, but then for, don't forget to stop doing that at some point. <laughs> right. It all ends up becoming seasonal yeah it's yeah. it's
0: like the analogy of going to of like going to school and having a busy semester right like you know that that has a finite start and end point and by the time yeah. that, that semester is over you can revert back to life and you can start getting back to doing other things again like yeah. prepping ends up being very similar to that where it's like no no, no like my life is just going to suck for this 12 week period of time and then after yeah. this 12 week period of time i can do fun things again yeah
1: yeah no totally and yeah i think uh like that's one of the benefits of like coaching in a group is that you know we found hey when somebody goes on vacation we'll try to uh i mean you you do as much in advance as you can Mm -hmm. right um so you plan your training you let let everybody know uh but we also are able to have some backup coaches lined up so that hey you want to go backpacking you want to be off the grid for a little bit like well everybody's going to be fine and you're not going to come back to like a mountain of emails you know uh it should be at least somewhat normal you know and so like having having real vacations instead of just like work pauses (laughs) has been pretty nice yeah bringing your laptop and only working for two hours a day as opposed to the whole day (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i don't know there's part of me that enjoys some of that too so like i I do have a part of me that gets some satisfaction out of uh you know, seeing myself as a hard worker. So yeah. uh, psychology, is, psychology is rough, man. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: But I mean, that's I also like, I would, I feel like I would agree. Like every time I've gone away, I got my laptop with me. I pop it yeah. open for even if it's only 20 minutes and just be like, all right, clear the inbox, make sure everything's updated, even though half the time there's nothing to do. But I still yeah. like, I don't know if it, like, like you said, psychology is weird. It's like a mental tick that like makes me feel. A little bit comforted in, in, in a weird
1: sense well for me too like i just don't stop thinking about training yeah. you know like it's a problem that is really really interesting to me and so even if i'm not like doing some stuff that's exactly work like responding to clients or writing training programs for specific athletes i'm like churning around on some problem in the back of my head you know kind of no matter what, you know, and guys on my team will, will tell you, like, I'll just at random times post these, we have a, a thread on our Slack uh, Slack group uh, for training tactics. And just at random times, I'll post like this long multi-page rambling of stuff that's been going on in my head. And they're like, man, what are you doing? Mike, <laughs> you know? it's 3.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> doing this. Totally. That, that's totally me. Like, um when my uh my oldest daughter was being born you know we're in the hospital and my wife's in labor and it's a long process for anybody who doesn't have kids like it, it can be a, a very long process and it kind of always was for us so we're, we're there and I mean at some point it's like, hey not much is going on, not much is going to go on for the next little bit. So why don't you go get something to eat? So she kind of kicks me out and sends me down in the cafeteria. So I'm down in the hospital cafeteria, sitting there eating something by myself, just looking out the window. Well, fuck yeah, I'm thinking about training. Like what am I, <laughs> what else am I going to be thinking about? But I mean, that's, that's me. So yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to think too hard about that. You know, that, if that's kind of where my mind is going to go, that's going to be what it is
0: it's like a it's like a dial right it's just one of those things where when you're on when you're on a vacation and you, there's going to be downtime there's going to yeah. be stuff that's going to be there time between events or time between things that you're going to do or something's going to end faster than you thought it was and if you have that and like that's where you want to do and you find joy out of doing that there's nothing wrong with
1: i mean like would you would you have any, anything to say, like uh, somebody starts thinking about music in a time right. like that. I mean, exactly. if you think about whatever your mind thinks about when it's idle, like, but for me, it's always lifting weights. Yeah. So yeah. I've got this obsession that's lasted for like 25 years now, <laughs> going strong. <laughs> it's, it's done you pretty
0: well over the last 25 years,
1: though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, can't complain a bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, I th- <laughs> so I think we're coming up on right about an hour, which leads us to our only scripted question that we do have. Um, and this is an open-ended question. I'm, inter- I'm very interested to see where you'll, you'll take this one. Um, so our only question is, what do you see, like what current trends in strength and conditioning or in fitness do you dislike the most and why? Like what really grinds your gears and like what actually gets you to be a little frustrated with things?
1: Frustrated though. I mean, we kind of touched on it a, a little bit, but like, I, I think frustrated is going to be more on the the like very low RPE side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit like the hyper-specificity stuff uh, is kind of annoying, but that's really gone out of style uh, over the last you know two, three, four years. Uh, which, thank goodness, in my opinion, um, I would say it, it's not so much frustrated, but more recently, uh, there's been a trend to view powerlifting, um, as like bodybuilding plus technique. Mm. And I think that's missing something bad. You know, I think it's, uh, it, there's a lot more detail that we can look at things through. And if you were to just say powerlifting is like even specific bodybuilding plus technique, then you're, definitely missing something so like if you were to take that one statement and say all right what does this mean to me in terms of training is going to lead you down some bad roads you know some some roads that are incomplete you know so I'm less frustrated with that one though because like you you might say all right Mike what's missing from that worldview and it's it's hard to articulate a specific thing and like show lots of evidence for it but I'm just saying like this guy who's been doing this for a long time, like I, sure seems like there's more to it than that. Or maybe we're playing with some definitions to be more broad than, than I take them to be. So that one's a little bit less frustrated and more just like, hey guys, uh, let's figure this out. Let's, uh, uh, either f- let's straighten out some definitions or um, cool our jets a little bit on how, fa- how far we're go- willing to go in this direction. Um, but yeah, the other ones, uh, like people that are, people that feel like seven RPE, eight RPE is like high RPE work. I'm like, man, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. That one, that one, that last, that second one is definitely one of the ones that makes me the most frustrated with powerlifting is like, I'll watch, yeah. I'll watch lifters go through like accessory movements and it's like, you, you didn't even do anything. Yeah like you put yourself into the most contorted and difficult position possible to like reduce the amount of load that you could use and then did it with no load and are trying to say that there's going to be some sort of benefit out of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it, so this is something else that's kind of interesting too. Like just how the pendulum has swung toward like isolation work mm-hmm. for strength and I, I'm not saying this because it's a bad thing at all, but like the idea before was that you would use compound movements, uh, because it, one is it more efficient, you know, you could train more and more muscles in less time. Uh, second was that, you know, you're putting yourself in, you know, more advantaged positions, you know, now that's not panacea either, you know, and there's, problems with that logic that they weren't aware of then that we are now Mm -hmm. right sure but I don't think going as far as you can in the other direction is necessarily the answer either you know what I mean I think savvy people know the difference and I think you do figure out the difference pretty quickly but yeah man there's there is a difference you know and there's still plenty of space for you know just doing some hard work you know
0: yeah that that last sentence about about space for hard work is like the you can you can get a lot of really good results on the absolute worst written program ever if you just try really hard.
1: Well, and I mean, I think that kind of goes back to the idea of there being a skill component to training. yeah. And there's a lot of decisions that get made and actions that get taken. Over the course of a training session, that are not things that are written down on that piece piece of paper, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, you got to ask yourself, like, do those? What impact are those things making to the overall result of the program? You know, you could have the same the same program, uh, but you just do the program in two different ways. You know, how big of a of a change in results can you imagine that that would produce? And I mean, I course it depends on how differently you you execute it but I can imagine some pretty damn big differences you know Uh, just training with intent versus not training with intent is enormous you know how focused are you and I think that a lot of training efficacy boils down to that like focus and attention you know like I think that that's a big part of the reason why uh, training blocks and you know, like if you're like the way I that I write training is that we keep the changes very, very minimal as we go through the block. And we will keep that block going for as long as the athlete's responding to it. And I find that what's likely going on is the end of this response is kind of when the adaptation starts to taper off and the athletes not as mentally engaged anymore. You know, and that's not, that's fine. That's normal. That's got to happen at some point, you know? So we just roll with that. Uh, but I, if you, if you had to say well, what's the mechanism for why that adaptation period ends, I think it's got to do with like how intensely focused are you on doing this thing after you've been doing it repetitively for a while.
0: Yeah. Like how many times can you go in and go,
1: Oh yes. Dumbbell bench as opposed to yeah. when
0: that psychology starts to shift and you go, Oh, I, I guess I'm going to dumbbell bench again.
1: Have, have you ever had this happen where you change up somebody's program? Let's say that they, you know, for the past, however long they've been squatting on Monday, you know, maybe, maybe they do like a, like a full body, uh, program. So Monday is like squat bench and some accessory work. Right. Uh, and then for whatever reason you have a block, you change it up and you do like an upper lower split. So Monday is now, uh, upper body only, and they go in and they still do their squat work because they weren't paying attention and they just like were doing the thing that they always do. Yeah. You know, I've definitely had that ha- not not often, but I've had that happen like once or twice over my career and I think like man, if you're that much on autopilot. Yeah. You know. Now like that's a pretty big oversight, right? What uh, what other gradations of that same oversight do we make, right? If every Monday is squat day and you go to the same rack and you face the same direction, you do the same thing and blah, blah blah blah. How often do you do that before you're kind of checked out? you know like yeah okay, this week is a little bit heavier or you know we're doing a slightly different variation but you still could go to the same place and you do the same things and I wonder like man if you just shift that schedule around, you go to a different gym or you face the other direction even you know change anything like that does it change a little bit? do you are you a little bit more attentive? are you a little bit more engaged you know?
0: That also has a lot to do with the individual athlete psychology too, because you might have some people that function yeah. extremely well with that routine, and yeah. that as soon as you start to change it and move away from something like that, they freak out and lose it, and that yeah. block is actually very negative.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm kind of that type of lifter a little bit because yeah, I'm the same for way. years and for years and years, like I, I train in my basement most of the time because yeah. it's convenient and you know, but. I do try to get out now and then. And so I'll go to a different gym and very, very consistently, my performance will be down when I go to a different gym to train. And for a while, for a long time, like I was was like weighing my plates at home, like, where is this coming from? (laughs) No, I I think it's attention and focus. For me, since I don't do it that often, going outside of the gym, uh, outside of the basement is, it's just a little bit more, difficult to get as focused as I am in a a more familiar environment. So that's a trainable quality too, though. So when I was training for this competition uh, a few weeks ago, it was at Elevate Barbell just down the road from here. Well, it's like 45 minutes away. So I went down there a handful of times in the month or two leading up to it, just to train in that environment a little bit. And I think it helped, you know, but if I was training for, you know, a, a major championship, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's too far away for you to do exactly that, go train on location, right? I would still try to move around my environment a little bit and just develop the skill of getting intensely focused, even if you're in a slightly different environment. At least it would help you manage the expectation. Absolutely. I, mean, I think that's a that's a really interesting point
0: to, to bring up about that and about how traveling and doing things like that can impact it from not actually having any other Issues because again, it's yeah. it, you said elevates very close to your house. So yeah. it's not even like you're traveling super far to get right. to a new gym or doing anything weird to get to a new gym. Yeah. And it still has a big impact on you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all kinds of things, you know. That I thought, you know, maybe it's the the bench, you know, it's a slightly different bench and it's the different surface on the bench. Mm-hmm. And controlling more and more of those variables has helped but there's still an effect there yeah
0: you know and i almost think the pendulum swings a little bit too far in that direction too when we're starting to talk about controlling all the variables that we can control because everybody wants everything everything needs to be perfect at all times or else we can't perform and we can't do anything
1: so this is a interesting story that i like about uh, when it comes to this uh Kind of creating habits and patterns type of conversation um powerlifting especially is very ritual based you know just watch anybody setting up for a deadlift mm-hmm. you know um we do that and it helps us kind of get in the right headspace and focus and all that um you see rituals like that with pretty much any any area of mastery, like any sort of athlete, any sort of performer, lots of times there will be some sort of pre-performance ritual, uh, and, and that helps. So back when I was living in, in Italy, uh, we were living near the Air Force Base there, and uh, I had a friend of mine who was uh, an F-16 pilot, and uh, we would talk about you know, mastery and, and stuff like that quite a bit, because you know, flying a fire jet is a skill as well you know, uh, kind of perfecting is a pretty high stakes skill for these guys too, yeah. right? Like perfecting you know, your ability to maneuver this aircraft through combat. And anyway, I remember one time we were talking about like these pre-performance rituals. And he said that uh, for him, whenever he goes out to pre-flight his aircraft, he would intentionally do it a different way every time. Because you never know when, you know, you've got to scramble to the jet and you don't have time to do a pre-flight check or something like that happens. And he didn't want that to be the thing that kind of threw off his performance. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, how interesting is that? Because you kind of make a ritual out of non-ritual at that point. But anyway, I, I don't know. I think there's definitely some areas that we can benefit from like having a little bit more non-ritual yeah. uh, in some of our training. And, you know, there's a there's a happy medium in there somewhere too. I like what you said about creating a
0: ritual out of a non-ritual, because then it just becomes organized chaos where he's still planning yeah. out the ritual that he's going to do beforehand, but it's just yeah. different every single time. I but mean, then his ritual is the planning out of how it's going to be slightly different. So he can still anticipate all of the possible scenarios that could mess it up.
1: It, it, it was such a cool little epiphany for me, you know? And I mean, look, if I was preparing for the same type of thing that he was preparing for I would probably take a similar tact I think that's a really good idea absolutely Craig. You got anything else you want to you want to bring
0: up before we no I was just,
2: I was just thinking about that like staring up at the sky because like I I feel like I go out of my way to not have a ritual also but not but I've never thought about it that way like mainly because like i kind of think it's corny to like do these robotic methodical things that are like before we lift and stuff like we're lifting weights but the more that like one i thought like would i actually benefit from this and two now i'm like rethinking the whole thing like do i do that on purpose out of some weird you know what i mean so That's just I'm the like, Philly
0: in you, Craig. You're like, no, nah, fuck those rituals. I ain't doing that shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> well,
2: but now I'm crit- critiquing my own my own
1: stuff now. It's meta, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think we're going to call this podcast, Mike T uh, gives Craig an existential crisis. This is going to be fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Especially now, like... <laughs> six seven weeks out from me and like you know it's just not going the way that i expected and wanted to go so i'm hyper fixating on all these little minutiae that i know in the back of my head probably isn't that serious but here we are
1: well six seven weeks out man plenty of time for things to turn around oh yeah yeah
0: yeah well, Mike, thank you very much for your time. Um, if you have anything you want to to bring up before the end and you want to talk about uh, before we end, this is your shot to pitch yourself, pitch your stuff, tell everybody where to find you. We appreciate your time today.
1: Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate, I appreciate you having me. Um, I guess easiest way to find me is uh, through the website, reactivetrainingsystems.com. Uh, we were talking uh, beforehand that uh, you know, something we've been working on a lot uh, over the last Gosh, I don't even know how long at this point. It's been a long time, but we're uh, finally finishing up a, uh, uh, something we're calling the RTS training lab, uh, which will be a way for, um, coaches and, and really self-coached lifters to, uh, kind of develop their own training, to learn more about training, to write training, deliver it to athletes, to connect with other like experts in the field, um. Not to take you into another story, but uh, the last round that we did where we were hiring new coaches, a big thing that we heard was from people who were already coaching uh, in powerlifting who were coaching on their own. And it's hard, man. That's a hard way to, to go about it. Uh, and they were looking for something that would you know, be more of a sounding board that would be uh, more supportive of them to help give them you know, the data that they need to make decisions. And so we set out to, to build a platform that would do that. So this thing is going to, I mean, there's, there's kind of a lot to it. So it might be worth just kind of checking out if this is the type of thing that you're into, Uh, but there's going to be like a dashboard for coaching. Uh, There's going to be a way to write training and deliver it to athletes, like a program library, uh, a, a, a community, but I hesitate to even call it like a community because that kind of gives people the wrong idea. We grabbed uh, a bunch of subject matter experts. Uh, so we've got like powerlifting coaches, but we've also got like physical therapists and biomechanists, biomechanists I always mess that word up, and uh, like nutritionists and like people that are outside of RTS as well. And they're here yeah. in this community answering questions, but we're also conducting like live office hours a bunch of different time zones Uh, so you can just no appointment required just jump on a call with uh dr megan jones who's uh uh, got a phd in biomechanics and talk about you know your technique breakdown on the squat and how you need to fix it or uh, you can talk about a client or uh you know kind of get some of that creative problem solving feedback you know so uh definitely we are striving to make it a training lab, you know, so that, that would be the thing that I've been sinking the majority of my attention into for, for a while now. Uh, but we're finally uh, coming up on uh, time for this thing to, to, you know, meet the world. So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: That sounds awesome. like it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it and uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks you guys too. Thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.